All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 5, and we are going to be beginning here in verse number 17. Matthew chapter number 5, we'll read verses 17 through 20 this morning, but before we do, uh, we're going to kind of just review quickly as we typically have been doing as we get started here. Uh, some of you have been away. It will be helpful, though some of you are getting tired of hearing this at the beginning of every sermon uh, as we get through here. And I understand that we've got folks that are new to the service this morning. We want to kind of make sure that they're caught up and on the same wavelength and that our thinking is adjusted to what Jesus is communicating here. Uh, we call this section of Scripture from Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is speaking and he is conveying or laying the foundation for all of his ministry. And so as he lays that foundation and he gets there, he begins by telling them, listen, you're here because you are searching for the Lord. You're searching for truth. You're looking for God. You, uh, you are at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, there's a draw. And as he draws them in and they're seated there and he begins to speak, he begins to share with them two very important keys in life. And the first being the key uh, to the heart of God. You're here because you're searching for God. Let me share with you the keys to the heart of God. How is it that we get in connection with what God's heart's desire is for us? Uh, and we begin to call, we call that section, this section of scripture, the Beatitudes. The attitudes that will lead us to the Lord, that will cultivate and build a relationship for God in our hearts. And the first four uh, basically extend to us uh, our, the keys to the heart of God. What are they? And we're not going to go through them step by, but I'm going to give this really quickly, uh, kind of a, an abbreviated version of what they, they're meaning. We're not going to reread this passage of scripture. Uh, it's, but first he starts by saying, uh, blessed are the broken. In other words, you've got to see your need. If you don't see that you have a need for the Lord, you're not going to have any use for what I have to say this morning. Uh, it doesn't matter if I understand that what's being presented is truth. If I don't perceive that I need it, then it's not going to make much impact in my life. If I come and I sit through sermon after sermon, Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson, revival meeting after revival meeting, but I never understand that I need this, it will never have an impact on your life. And so Jesus starts right off the bat. He says, you're here. You, you've come out to see me. And I'm coming on behalf of God to draw men unto the Father and to glorify and honor him and to make redemption for you. But if you don't understand that you need redemption, then I can't help you. And so he says, blessed are they uh, which are poor in spirit. Uh, and so we see that we have a need for God. Then he says that we need to be broken. And that brokenness means that I see God for who he is, the price that he paid in my great need, and that breaks my heart. It's a, it's a misnomer that you can just rattle off a prayer and have Christ as your Savior. We've been taught for years, and churches, even Bible colleges, have taught uh, for years that all that's necessary for salvation is for you to pray this prayer. If you say these words, then you have eternal life. Listen, genuine, authentic Bible salvation is not just some kind of uh, open sesame kind of a thing that brings Christ into the heart. It is the realization that I'm a sinner and that my sin has had an impact on God in heaven that causes me to be sorrowful for my sin. We call that repentance. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 verses 3 and 5 that except ye repent ye shall 
all likewise perish. It's so important that he said it twice in the span of three verses. And so if I don't understand that my sin is an offense to God, and that offense to God has a reflection and an action upon my soul and my life that breaks me and breaks my heart, that I've broken God's heart, then I'm not really seeing that I have a need. And that, that cultivates in my heart a brokenness. A, a, a brokenness that I've offended you. If I say something offensive to Brother Bo this morning, and I go to him because I know that he's, he, he's offended, uh, but I think that he's just being uh, maybe a little bit uh, shallow or, or a little easily offended. He's got his feeling on his sleeves. It's really not that big of a deal to me. And I go to him and say, you know, I'm really, I'm sorry that, that you're offended. I'm not sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry that you're offended. And what I'm trying to communicate this morning is the importance and the understanding that our sin offends God. And that the offense that we have to God, if I love the Lord and I want to be reconciled to God, is going to have a broken effect in my heart. It's going to, it's going to produce a genuine sorrow for my sin. And whenever that sorrow for sin comes, then that causes me to be willing to do what's necessary to make it right. In other words, I submit to him. And Jesus lays this out when he says, blessed are they uh, that are poor in spirit. I need him. Blessed are they that mourn. I'm broken. Blessed are they, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. In other words, I'm submitted to you. I'm submitted to your path. I'm no longer trying to get my way to heaven by being baptized or going to church or clicking off and being a good person and turning over a new leaf. But I'm surrendered and submissive to the plan of God. What is the plan of God? The plan of God is that Jesus Christ would come and that he would fulfill the law. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. And that in the fulfillment of the law, he would offer himself a sacrifice one time for all of eternity, for every sin that ever had been or ever was being or ever would be committed. Every sin paid for. Whether I accept his gift of salvation or not, my sin has been paid for on Calvary's cross. And if I... If I stand before God or someone stands before God at the white throne as they are banished into the lake of fire for all of eternity, they will not go to the lake of fire because their sins weren't paid for. They will go because they would not accept the gift that Jesus made available to them. Uh, he came once for all. Uh, and then that creates in me as I'm surrendered to his will and I see the need that I have a yearning for him. If I'm not yearning for God, then there's something wrong with my walk with him. As a Christian, if I'm not longing for a relationship with a close relationship, with a growing relationship with my Savior, then I'm really not uh, growing and endeavoring to know the Lord the way that he wants to be known. And so we see our need. We see that that creates a brokenness that causes us to surrender to the way of God instead of our own way. And that causes us to long for him or to yearn for him. Those first four Beatitudes are the keys to the heart of God. Understanding how to connect with his heart, our heart to his, his heart to ours. Then the second four Beatitudes uh, lay out and share for us the keys to expressing Christ in our life. He says, listen, you found your way to me. You've accepted the gift of salvation. Now let me share with you what that's going to look like in your life. How is that going to change you? How is that going to impact you? By the way, if you give your heart fully to Christ, you will not be able to remain the same. He changes us from the inside out. He changes fundamentally who we are, how we think, what we do, where we go, who we associate with, how we fellowship with them and interact with them. I'm saying this morning that Jesus Christ, when he's truly my Savior, changes everything. 
And so we come and we understand as he lays out the second four, he says, that, listen, uh, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, blessed are uh, ye when men shall revile you. And so he lays all this out there. What's he saying? He's saying that I'm going to change you to your heart from being selfish to being a giving heart. You, you are acting on my behalf. You are caring on my behalf. You are sharing on my behalf. You are going out of your way to meet the needs of others. You are holy gods. My heart is given wholly to the Lord. I fully give myself over to him. I begin to seek reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. I have a desire in my heart to seek to reconcile the lost to their Savior. And to reconcile the backslidden back to their God. To reconcile brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ that are estranged back to one another. There is a harmony that comes with walking with the Lord and knowing him that, that creates for the Christian that's walking with him a great desire to connect people with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever their need, wherever I am, to reconnect or to connect them with Christ. And then he says, whenever you do that, the world's not going to like it because it's going to expose their sin. And whenever they do that, they're going to persecute you like they persecute me. That's your identity. That identifies you as having given me your heart and walking in my life. Then last week, we looked at what we call the similitudes. In other words, we are salt and light. What's the progression here? Jesus says, listen, I'm here. You have a need. Here's how you find me. Here's what it's going to produce in your life. And here's what the outward manifestation of that's going to be. I am going to make you a light that's on the hill. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, and you are going to be, uh, as the Spirit of God works through you, uh, you are going to be compelling men uh, to the Lord, to God. Now listen, this, is a, this sounds radically different than what they practiced religiously in their country. So what Jesus is presenting to them right now is to kind of rock their world. They came... To hear this rabbi, and they heard God. They came to hear uh, what they've always been taught. And they hear it, but it doesn't sound right. And, and what he says here then in verse 17 addresses that. And so we get to our text this morning, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. He's addressing right off the bat. I know what you're thinking. You think I've come to undo all of your religious works. That you think I've come to undo the law, the law of Moses. You think I've come to unravel everything that we stand for because of the way that you hear what I'm saying to you. But he says, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments... And shall teach men so. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus communicating here? He's communicating this. What I've just said to you thus far sounds very different than what you practice. From what your scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and uh, the rabbis teach you. But in essence, it's the same. I'm committed to the word of God. I want to speak to you this morning on that thought, committed to God's word. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for again the time. I pray that you would bless these moments that we have, that our hearts would be in tune with you. Spirit of God, I pray that you would fall fresh upon us, that you would unify us in heart and in spirit as a church as we move forward into this new year. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to uh, wrap our hearts around the word of God and be committed to it in Jesus' name and amen. So again, Jesus here is assuring these listeners that what they are hearing from him is not that I'm here to eliminate your life, your practice. He said, I didn't come to eliminate it. I came to fulfill it. What I'm presenting to you uh, and what I'm teaching to you is the law. It just sounds radically different because it's radically different the way, from the way that you practice it. In other words, he's saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm reaffirming everything that you believe, but the way that you practice it is so corrupt that you don't recognize it. What God said, this is the way that I want things to be, and what you actually at this stage are practicing are not compatible. And so Jesus comes to them and says, listen, it's not, what I'm saying to you is not new, it's just pure. What I'm presenting to you is the heart of God. Uh, what I'm presenting to you is the, is, the, is the pure meaning of what God intended, not what man has twisted it into becoming. They come to a place where they are all wrapped up in, in tradition. They're all wrapped up in the rituals. They're all wrapped up in the, uh, in the comings and the goings and the pomp and the circumstance rather than the relationship with their Father in heaven. Jesus said, I'm coming that I might help you to find a real, true, meaningful, personal relationship with God. Do we love him? Do we know him? Do we walk with him? Listen, when we talk about the law here, and Jesus says that he came to fulfill it. We, we oftentimes, I think people today erroneously believe that because Jesus fulfilled the law, that the law is no more. The law is not gone. Jesus didn't eradicate the law. He fulfilled it. Now the law is basically broken down into three primary divisions. First, there is the moral law. The moral law never changes. The moral law fulfilled in all of in everything that Christ has done still holds true. We are not in this church age, in this age of grace, un, unbound by the morality of the law of Moses. Jesus reaffirmed every aspect of it. The only thing that you could argue from the Ten Commandments standpoint that Jesus didn't reaffirm was the Sabbath, but that has just simply been shifted to Sunday on the first day of the week to celebrate his resurrection. It's still supposed to be the Lord's day, a day of rest, a day uh, where we worship our Father, where we commune with Him, uh, where we are, uh, we are giving ourselves over to Him mentally and emotionally and spiritually to the Lord Jesus Christ and to our Father in heaven. And, and, but that's the morality of the law. That's unchangeable. What's immoral in the Old Testament will be immoral throughout all of eternity. What God said is morally right, morally acceptable. What he said is morally wrong. Uh, whether, whatever society accepts is irrelevant. What God said is truth. Amen. If all of the world comes together and says that it's okay uh, to, uh, to do things morality-wise, uh, to, to say uh, that this, is now, this thing that's been traditionally considered immoral is now uh, considered moral, and there are a lot of things that that encompasses where we're already there, uh, and so the, the, the world just accepts it. It's accepted culturally. It's accepted socially. Much of it's accepted globally, but it's not accepted in heaven. 
What God said is morally pure is pure, and what's morally impure is impure. It'll always be wrong to steal. It'll always be wrong to be an adulterer. It'll always be wrong uh, to, to be dishonest. And, uh, and we could go on and on down the list. That's never changing. But there was also a ceremonial aspect of the law. A ceremonial aspect of the law that demonstrated Jesus throughout the ages. That showed the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go back and you look at the sacrificial system and you look at what they did, every aspect of it showed the Lord Jesus Christ. It showed his sacrifice. It showed his coming. It showed uh, his importance. It showed uh, it, he's interwoven. You cannot separate the Lord Jesus Christ from the tabernacle or the temple or the sacrifices or anything really in the Old Testament because all of it proclaims him. And as he's making this, this uh, teaching to them, he's just sharing with them, listen, the ceremonial law is going to come to its conclusion. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to Calvary's cross. I'm going to offer myself a sacrifice on your behalf. All of this sacrifice up till now has been temporary. It's given you temporary atonement. It's given you a, a picture of the forgiveness that you experience when you put your faith in Messiah. But once I go to that cross and once I rise from that grave, that's no longer necessary because you don't have to now look forward to something that will happen. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. There's no more need for that because I've already achieved all that can be achieved. God has accepted the sacrifice. We said, that's great, Pastor. I don't have to offer a sacrifice. Wrong. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Amen. See, Jesus said, I'm coming to fulfill the law. That does not mean that you do not need to come to an altar and present a sacrifice. It's just that rather than sacrificing an animal or a bird or some other or, or grain or, or a wave offering, a peace offering, you're presenting yourself. He said, I've given myself wholly, completely for you. You give yourself wholly, completely for me. Jesus comes and he lays out here and he says, this is the difference of what I'm presenting to you. The ceremonial law has changed. It's a fundamental change. Why is that possible? How could it change, Pastor? Because it was fulfilled. It was completed. When he said it is finished, it was finished. It was done. The principle doesn't change. What God was intending has to demonstrate to them that they needed to give everything to him, that he needed to be first. And my friends this morning, that has not changed. We are still to give all of our everything to Christ, our whole heart to God, our very best to Him. Uh, it should be presented a living sacrifice to the Lord. His desires, His needs, His will for our lives should be primary, not our own. Yes. Then there was the judicial law. The judicial, the judicial law laid out that if you do this, then this is the punishment. If you commit this crime, this is the punishment. Uh, and this, the judicial law changed with the culture. It changed with the times. Just like our laws, every society has a judicial law system. It's different from one country to the next. And it's constantly changing to meet the needs of the culture and the society. Listen, the Old Testament law of Moses that was judicial, Jesus said, that, that's going to change over time. The, the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. It's changed. But the moral law is the same. And so as Jesus addresses that, he says, I did not come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. I came to reemphasize it. 
It's really a pretty amazing thing. In our mind in this New Testament age, we are so wrapped around the idea that the Mosaic law is complete. We have nothing to do with that anymore. Wrong. God demonstrates every intention that he has for our relationships throughout the law. You say, well, Pastor, I may not be bound by this. Whether I'm bound by it or not, God has demonstrated his intent. And if I love him and I want to please him, then I'm going to do my best to do what pleases my Father in heaven. And if he said, this is my desire, then I'm not doing it because I'm bound by some ceremonial duty. I'm doing it because I want to express my love to him. And so whenever I come and see what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, the law holds true, but its manifestation is different. The way that it shows itself in our lives is different. And the manifestation is different, but its moral value is not. It's the same. So with that in mind this morning, I want to just make three observations here. First, I would say that Jesus is saying to the crowd here, I have come to progress the law, not to destroy it. I have not come to destroy the law. I came to progress it. I came to move it forward. I came to bring it to light. I came to lift it out of the corruption that man, that the scribes, that the Pharisees, that religion has placed upon it and lift it above the corruption and restore it to its original intent. I came to progress the law. I came to move you to advance it. And, and basically when he says I came to fulfill, the word fulfill means to accomplish what was intended or to complete. I have come to help the law accomplish its intent. What is its intent? Its intent is for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. How is that possible, Pastor? Well, what he's essentially preaching, and we're going to be getting into this throughout chapter 5, because really the rest of chapter 5 and into 6 points back to verse number 20 in large part. As he's saying, you've been focused on the deeds of the law. I want your attention on the spirit of the law. I want you living your lives not based upon a, a list of do's and don'ts, but what is the spirit behind it? What is the real message, the real principle that God is trying to drive into our hearts and bring us forward? I'm coming to progress that narrative, to move us from physical service to following the spirit, to doing what the religious hierarchy says, to just fulfilling the spirit. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he's saying the word of God will be fulfilled. God's word is fulfilled. I came to fulfill it. I came to, to, to not, listen, not one jot nor one tittle. Now, in the Hebrew language, there are a lot of little tick marks. And you just take that tick mark, say if it looks like a W, and there's a little dot over here off of the, of the, the left wing of that, and you move it to the other side, it com it's a completely different word. Uh, and so, and think of it this way in the English language. If you put a C and an E right beside each other, you could see that you just take a little pen at the top of that C and you just curve it under and it makes an E. A jot, a tittle. It's a dot, it's a punctuation mark. It's a, uh, and if I pick up my wife's Spanish Bible and, and go through there, they have letters that we don't have. Uh, and a lot of the letters have accent marks over them. And the accent mark uh, makes a difference in the pronunciation of the word. It's just one little tick, one little mark, but it completely changes the meaning of the word, the emphasis of the word. Jesus is saying not one jot, not one tittle, not one thing that God has said will come to pass is not going to come to pass. I have come to ensure that everything that the Bible says will happen. Yeah, amen. Amen. I've come to fulfill it. 
to advance it, to promote it, God's word will be fulfilled. My friends, this morning, if I read the Bible and I see things and I can clearly go back and see, okay, God said this and here's where it happened. And God said this and here's where it happened. That he promised this and he fulfilled it this way. And then I get to something that, and it hasn't happened yet. I can rest assured that it will happen. Why? Because Jesus came and he walked on the earth. Then he exemplified the law and he fulfilled every aspect of it in the human flesh. He did not fail in any measure. And when he, when he was crucified on our behalf and rose from the grave victorious, he empowered us to live in the same way. If we'll put our faith and trust in him and we'll be yielded to the spirit of God, we can too walk with him. And he said, listen, just as sure as I came, just as sure as I rose from the grave, I'm coming again. Amen. And everything in between is going to be completed. No one can unravel it. It may look like it'll never happen. It may look like it's been defeated. It may look like it's undone. But I will fulfill every jot and every tittle. Nothing will pass away. God's word will be fulfilled. And as a Christian this morning, I can go to bed tonight with confidence that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going around me, I'm secure in the Father's hand because Jesus said I was. God's word will be fulfilled. Then he says, the believer is fulfilling the word. See, what he's exemplified to us in the Beatitudes is that as you get in connection with God, your life begins to become a fulfillment of the law. Amen. Your life begins to come uh, fulfilling. Just like my life fulfilled what Moses said, your life will fulfill what he said. Just like my life showed that you can walk in the spirit and what it's like to walk in the spirit. And understand, Jesus is God. He was always God, but he's also 100% man. And when Jesus walked in flesh on the earth, he did not walk in his power as God. He walked as a man under the power of the spirit of God. Amen. So to demonstrate to us, the Bible tells us clearly that he is our example in all things. It was no temptation for Jesus to be tempted of Satan if he, was, if he was being tempted in his authority and power and position as God. But it was a temptation because he was there in human flesh as man. In all, he was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. And he's that example. He demonstrated for us that the life that he lived in the power of the Spirit of God, we can live. Amen. And he's saying to us here, he's saying, listen, your life is going to become an exemplifying factor. It's going to demonstrate and show what I do in someone's heart when they have a relationship with me to all the world around you. He said, it can't be undone. I'm going to demonstrate this in your life. In other words, he says, I have come and I have fulfilled the law. All of the law will be fulfilled. And the believer is going to be fulfilling the word. Who's the word? Jesus said that he's the word. I am the, I am, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I am, Jesus says, the Word. He came to progress the law. Not only that, secondly, He came to perpetuate the law. I didn't come to end it. I came to keep it going. And we think, in our mind's eye, that it's done. It is fulfilled. It is fulfilled. But it's not over. It's perpetuated. He said, I'm coming to advance it. I'm coming to bring it here. To perpetuate means to cause to endure. I'm going to cause this to endure. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean this. The Word lives. Because Jesus is the Word. And Jesus lives. Do you understand this morning that He lives? 
that I'm not worshiping a dead God. I'm not worshiping an ancestor. I'm not worshiping uh, someone that, uh, that is not real. I'm not worshiping uh, a stone figure or a plastic statue or some ceramic porcelain thing. I am worshiping the true and living God. And he cannot be defeated. He cannot be conquered. He said, I am perpetuating my word to you and what I intend for you. The word lives because the word is Jesus. Not only that, the Christian is God's word to the world if Jesus reigns in their heart. See, the Christian who sits on the throne of their own heart and does everything their way, it's really a poor representative of Christ. That's what Jesus is condemning here in verse 19 when he says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you teach it but you don't live it, shame on you. If you teach it but don't live it, then you devalue it. You bring condemnation to it. You make a mockery of it. For those Christians who go out and live their own way and fulfill their, and you can't distinguish their life from the life of someone that's unsaved in the world, and, but yet they're saying and standing up and proclaiming, live for God and have a relationship with God, but they're not doing it themselves. Jesus is bringing condemnation upon them. He said, it doesn't matter you Pharisees and Sadducees out there, and that's who's in his crowd, He's looking at them, you scribes, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, uh, you rabbis, uh, that you want to stand up and you want to preach to everyone else how they need to live. But you don't live what you preach, shame on you. But if you live it and you preach it, then you're great in the kingdom of God. God help us to be, not me not to just be a pastor, and Brother Trevon not just to be an assistant pastor, and our deacons to not just be deacons, but may we as the embodiment of Victory Baptist Church be a, a believing body, a body of believers who go out and live what we preach to the best of our ability with the Lord's help. And Jesus lays it out here and he says, listen, I am, I am, you are the word of God to the world if Jesus reigns on your heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, he put it this way. He said that you are our epistle known and read of all men. The world is watching. Your lost neighbors are watching. Your lost friends are watching. Your co-workers are watching. When they look at your life, when they listen to your conversation, when they see and understand your values, does it, does it mirror the values of the world or does it stand in contrast to them? It cannot align with Christ and be in unison and harmony with the world. The Christian is God's word to the world if Jesus reigns. And for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, you are ambassadors of Christ. You are my representatives. You are not going in your own authority to speak your will. You're going as my representative sent out to speak my word. You do not have the authority. When World War II was coming, uh, President Kennedy's father was the ambassador to England. And he stood up and he spoke his own mind as the ambassador of the United States to an allied power and it contradicted the message of his government and the president that appointed him and that he represented. As a result, he was fired from his position. He was ostracized from politics. Why? Because he went out and he represented his viewpoint rather than his president's viewpoint that he served. 
Listen, I don't have the authority and you don't have the authority this morning to go to anyone and say, this is what I think. I have a responsibility to go out and say, this is what Jesus said. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter uh, what my agenda is. What matters is the Word of God. My commitment this morning, the believer's commitment this morning, should not be to a church. It should not be to a, a group of people over the Word of God. The Word of God is first. But if the Word of God is in alignment and the pastor's in alignment and the deacons are in alignment with the Word of God, then we're all unified together. We're all loyal to one another, but our first loyalty is to the Father, to the Word of God. Amen. We come this morning understanding that the church is God's Word to the world if Jesus is reigning in my heart. And then thirdly, consider that the church is, is in, as far as, this is the third sub-point of, of point two. The church is the bride, which is an extension of her husband. This is the Word. I am the Word, Jesus said. I am an extension of my father. The church as the bride of Christ is an extension of her husband. My wife is an extension of me. My wife represents me. My wife speaks on my behalf many times. She represents me where we go. She supports me. She, uh, she helps me. She comes to my assistance. She helps carry forward the goal together collectively of what we're trying to accomplish and what God's called us to do. That's her role. By the way, our role as a church is not to just dream up our own agenda and to go out and pursue it. It is to perpetuate the will of God. It is to fulfill and support the mission and the words of Christ and what God is uh, to be, to realize we are an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ in this local assembly of believers. Jesus said, I've come to progress the law. I've come to perpetuate the law. Then he said, I'm coming to preserve the law. Notice again, he says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what's he com he's commenting here? He's saying, listen, you look at the scribes and the Pharisees and what you see is this outer shell that looks great. Now, we know what was going on in their heart because later Jesus tells them that there were a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but you're rotten and you have dead, decaying things inside of you. But to the average observer, those people lived at a much higher plane of holiness and commitment to God. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, listen, unless... Unless your righteousness becomes greater than theirs. In other words, put it this way. Think of the, most, the, the person in your life that you think of that is the most holy, godly person that you know. I promise you this, they're not as holy and godly as you think they are. I'm not saying that they're not good people, that they don't love the Lord, that they're not committed. I'm just saying we have a tendency to look with blinders as that, that we hold in high regard and no one really measures up. That's Jesus' point here. He's saying this is your vision of them. Unless your personal life exceeds that, you have no shot at fulfilling what I'm saying here. Now he says, let me tell you how to be more than they are. Stop worrying about the outer show and start adopting and addressing the spirit of the law. We don't have time to get into all of that this morning. But really what he's going to point to throughout the rest of this chapter in large part is that 
For example, consider verse 21 just quickly, just as a demonstration. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus is saying, listen, they say, and the law says, if you commit murder, you're going to be judged. I'm telling you that the spirit of the law behind that is that if you are angry, unrighteously, and hang on to that, the judgment's coming. I want to stop it before it gets to the point of this. I want to redirect it before it grows and before it exacerbates itself and, uh, and, and culminates in murder. He goes on through a long list of things and we'll get into those in the weeks ahead. But I'm just saying this morning that what he's saying is, listen, you are the bride of Christ. I've come to preserve the law and to preserve it simply means to keep or to save from injury or destruction. I've come not to eliminate the law, but to fulfill it. I'm going to perpetuate it. I'm going to progress it. I'm going to preserve it. It's not going to be decaying. It is going to become what God intended fully for it to become. What do we see here? Two thoughts about this. First, we see the preserved words of God. They are fulfilled, not eliminated. Now, I'm not talking about Bible translations here. I'm talking about God fulfilling what he said he would do. Jesus said, I will fulfill every jot and every tittle. Everything will be complete. Everything will be done. I, I, listen, whether that, whether that makes me feel warm and fuzzy or whether that makes me feel convicted and in, in fear of God's judgment, it's what I need to hear and it's good for me. And Jesus just simply says, whatever the word of God is and says, that's what I'm doing. And however that rubs someone, it doesn't matter. I've come to preserve this. The preserved words of God, they will be fulfilled. They will not be eliminated. And then secondly, he says the, pres the preserved works. Every prophecy fulfilled, every promise kept. It's a promise. You can, you can, it's as sure as the sunset tonight and rising in the morning. I don't know what the weather's going to be in the morning. I think, it's, I think that the rain's done and it's going to clear out and be a beautiful day tomorrow. But... If I'm wrong and it's cloudy, I won't be able to sun, see the sunrise. But that doesn't mean that I don't know that it rose. It's not a matter of whether I can see it or not. I don't have to see it to know that it is. Why? Because I've taken 55 laps around it. And it's never not. So why would I expect that it's going to change tomorrow? The, in, the, in 55 years that I've been alive... There's never been a single day where the sun didn't rise. And there's never been a single day that it didn't set. And those of you that have been around longer would say the same. And I realize that there are some people out there in the world today that, that, that the world has gone so crazy that there are actually people out there with making an argument that that's not so. But no reasonable person could draw a conclusion other than that. Whether I see it or not, it's there. It happened. And whether I can see it happening or not, if it's in this book, it's going to happen. Amen. I don't have to be able to see it. I've walked with God long enough. I've 
fellowship with God long enough. I've read the word of God enough times. I've seen enough of it come to pass that I have no logical or, uh, or real reason to ever doubt that Jesus will do every single thing that he said. He's never failed yet and he's not going to fail now. Amen. He came to preserve it. He came to perpetuate it. He came to progress. Say, Pastor, does that mean that we're going to erect an altar out back in a temple and we're going to put an Ark of the Covenant out there and we're going to start reinstating? No. Jesus already took care of that. It's not gone. It just looks different today. It's been fulfilled. It's given completed. And instead of having to go out and catch a couple of doves tomorrow and, and, and flaying them open and laying them on a fire, Peter, instead of having to go out and get a, a, a lamb and letting it live in my house for a year and offering it annually uh, and, and having to take it with my family, watch it on and cut its throat and let it, somebody catch its blood and sprinkle it to make atonement for our sin, I, I don't have to do That's been fulfilled. Jesus took care of all that. You know what I have to do? Here's your sacrifice, Lord. It may not look like much, but it's what you died for. And it will be what you make it because I'm yielded to you. My life, and that's why Paul said, I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why? Because it is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus came and said, I did not come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. I did not come to eradicate it. I came to make it real. I did not come to pound, over, pound you over the head with the idea like the schoolmaster of the law has done that you could never live up to God's expectations. I've come to connect you with God in such a real way that through the power of the Spirit of God in your life, you can fulfill every aspect of the law because you're not doing it in your power now. You're doing it in the power of God. And just as I walked among you for 33 and a half years and fulfilled every aspect of the law, and never sinned, uh, if you'll yield yourself to the Holy Spirit of God, so can you. Tired of being defeated this morning? Tired of being overwhelmed by sin? Tired of having your, your life ruined because, uh, because you can't uh, stay away from some substance or some uh, alcoholic beverage or uh, some toxic relationship uh, or some uh, other way of thinking that just corrupts and depresses and, uh, and crushes you down and prevents you from abounding in Christ? Stop denying that the law is gone and realize that Jesus fulfilled it. And submit yourself the sacrifice that he deserves. By the way, Paul said, it's just your reasonable service. We think of that as, oh man, that's my whole life. How can I give all that? Paul said, it's just a reasonable request. For what he's done for us. For us to give that to him. That, that's not a lot to ask. It's reasonable. Would I this morning come to understand that Jesus came because he was committed to the word of God? He was committed to the fulfillment of the word. And may I this morning 
as a child of God because of the blood of Christ, would I this morning be willing to say, Lord, I commit my life to your word. Because in committing my life to the word, I commit my life to him. Are we committed this morning? Are we committed? Are we as committed this morning to the Lord Jesus Christ as we are to our 401k? Ooh, preach. Are we as committed to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as we are to our next vacation? Wow, come on. Are we as committed to him as we are to our family? If I'm not, I missed the blessing that he waits to bestow upon me. He came to fulfill every aspect. He's committed to his word. And if I would walk with him, I must commit myself to his word as well. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to understand that when you came, you shifted our attention from ceremonial religious activity to a real relationship. May we long to know you in the spirit of your word and your law and your will. And may we live through your grace and with your power to fulfill it. Thank you that you demonstrated for us that it could be done. Thank you that you empower us through the spirit of God to accomplish it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk with you and to be committed to your word as you demonstrated you were committed to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As the piano plays, if God spoke into your heart, the invitation is now. The time to come, the time to respond, the time to commit your heart to Christ, the time is, is in this moment. Would you give yourself to him?